The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with a Super Bowl week, post-Senior Bowl week edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. we got a lot to get to, so let's not waste any time and get right into the proceedings. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner. Here on the show, lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever he gets that T-ring back in, Matt and I will make sure he wears it proudly. But nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, bro. I appreciate uh, it, as always. No problem. Yeah, by the way, CB, I know you're listening to this podcast right now. Thank everybody for listening, downloading, however you do it, wherever you're doing it from. We thank you so much for your support Shout of Longhorn Blitz and all the Horns 24-7 podcasts. Uh, I was filling in for Kevin Dunn on the afternoon show on the Horn uh, Rod, you have your Longhorn Insider segment, and mm-hmm. Rod's in the studio. And CB wants me to do the Rod Babers intro, and I said, "No, you want the you want the Rod B intro. You got to listen to the blitz." Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It wasn't in the right mood either for it. Like you're in a different mindset than your blitz mindset. I agree with that. Yeah, Exclusivity. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So I said, like you don't. I, I I compared it to this. I said, you don't just go up to Ric Flair and ask him to just cut a promo. <laughs> yeah, you can ask for the Ric Flair. Woo. But he'll get that to you. But, yeah, the promo, yeah, you got to do something special for that. You're not going to be hearing about alligator shoes and spilt liquor and (laughs) all kinds of stuff. So um, I don't know how to segue to this. I want to spend a couple minutes on it. Um, You know, if you you don't want to hear this part, you just want to hear about text-related stuff, you can fast-forward a couple minutes, or if you want to hang with us, feel free. But, Rod, um, you know, we talked – in kind of late summer when Cedric Benson passed, how that mm. impacted us in a number of different ways. And the Kobe Bryant passing, 
the, the the way it happened, just the suddenness of it, and the fact that I've heard it put so many different ways, and trying to like frame it to how it mm-hmm. makes you feel. And one thing I heard from from you know I'm 36, so kind of people my age. I didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan and kind of his formative years in the NBA. Like yeah. my first like basketball conscious was that 91 season the year he won the first title. But so I didn't so I was a Jordan fan but I didn't have that part of it. Yeah. But Kobe Bryant was the first superstar mm-hmm. where I felt like okay, he's ours. Like you watched him come into the league at 17 mm-hmm. and then you got the next 20 years. Um so that part of it was hard and like I never, like, and I was trying to frame it, like, I never understood, like, my mom and dad always talk about, like, when Elvis died, like, the impact it had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never really got it. I didn't know Elvis was important, but I wasn't alive, so I never mm-hmm. really got it. Yeah. Now I think I get it, because it's kind of the same thing. Like, you, you picture, like, Kobe Bryant's not supposed to die. I'm, like, looking at, yeah. you know, the in memoriam pictures, like, even this morning, I was like, I still can't, like, wrap my head around when you see to the year 2020 like that that that's not it's not right like you can't yeah something's up that it's weird I, yeah I so that. in a number of ways as a sports fan as a, as a as a fan of the nba growing up as a father as a father of a daughter this hit me a number of different ways um so matt i just kind of want to give you the floor rod i know you talked a lot about it on your shows this week i just want to give you guys the floor anything you guys want to get out um before we move on with the show today um yeah, I, I it's I think it hit everybody hard harder, and I hate to you know hate to get into how you know obviously tragic everything was, but nine people, um, and so many families, right? I mean, uh, Altabelli, the John Altabelli, the his, Orange, his wife Coast and daughter, College. Orange Coast College, yeah, uh, was actually a, a college teammate. roommate, college teammate, and roommate of David Pierce, yeah, at the it, University of Houston. It's crazy how how close to home he gets. So that family, I mean, his wife, his daughter. I mean that family obviously has been um, just just tragically struck in this manner, and there was another uh, assistant coach who was a mom also on board, and her daughter was on board. So it was, and of course Gigi on there. So it, I when it when that when I learned that news, I think I think it took it to a different level because um, you know there were so many families that are potentially destroyed because of this. So our thoughts and prayers obviously go out to everybody affected by it personally. But I think we all, it's weird in pop culture, you know, you feel you feel strange when somebody passes away that you don't know at all, that you have no personal connection with. And mm-hmm. yet I'm at Doc's and my girlfriend tells me, she's like, Kobe's dead. And she said, it, I, I blamed her. She said it in such a nonchalant manner. <laughs> like she should almost like to brace me for what she did. And she's like, Kobe's dead. And I was like, what? And she's like, Kobe died. And I was like. Why are you, what are you talking about? Why are, what are you saying? And this is a bad, what are you saying? Like, I, I didn't process it at first. She was like, she said, Kobe died in a helicopter crash just now. They're reporting it. And she had like, like, it took me that much to process it as a grown man coming from my woman because it was just so shocking. It just came out of nowhere. And I'm sitting there and I'm going through all the, you know, I'm going through Twitter and looking at all the stuff. And my girlfriend's like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just looking at this. She's like, you're tearing up. And I was like, I'm tearing up. I was like, oh, hell, I am kind of tearing up. I didn't realize that I was a Kobe fan, honestly, until that moment. I kind of didn't. <laughs> well, I, it, I don't think it, I was a Kobe fan. It detaches you. And you and I it's both have talked yeah, long you know I mean? about this. We were like yeah. one of the few LeBron fans when there were a time in sports to decide between a Kobe or a LeBron. And there was yeah. always. But that's when something like this 
can take it full circle and like the human element is just intertwined because it's some player that like had Jeff said there wasn't a person that was say he was LeBron before LeBron but he emulated MJ in between the two to where like to our generation when I was 11 and Kobe was 17 going into the league it seemed like he was a generation detached he was older but then like to see that play out the way that it did and it was just immediate greatness in like 2000 he's like already like one of the best players that you could see in the entire NBA immediately and just like to be able to encapsulate his life and when you see 41 and that he was a 20-time all-star and he won academy award and he has the a grown daughter another daughter two other daughters like that what he crammed into one life was really as much or more than any other human that could arguably have ever walked this earth but like when somebody like that dies to somebody like us that have chronicled their life it's almost like a deity dying somebody that is on that level that you just had always thought of as almost non-human because of their greatness and then it ends up being that it triggers you because you realize how you know priceless life is and how much yeah. in one second life I think one of the things that's complained about Kobe's story is that we've watched him grow. He's the first su- true superstar to be kind of internet, like there's all internet documented. Like uh-huh. you got everything. You can go back. I did rabbit hole and went all the way back to Kobe's career. You get everything. And early on in his career, you know, he's he's got a lot of bravado and he's arrogant and he's egotistical. And everybody criticized him for being petulant and being like a child. You know, to even even to the point where him and Shaq broke up, right? Yeah, that was he's changed more than Col- anybody. Yeah, and he we we watched him evolve and grow and you know, and he listen, he is far from a perfect human being. We know that too. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot going on with Kobe. Um but in terms of just him as a basketball player, and then we we watched him now in post basketball become a guy, and he you know he died in that same way, you know trying to forge a relationship with his daughter and try to spend more time with his daughter. The reason he got the freaking helicopter in the first place was because he wanted to have the it was the Mamba mentality. It yeah. really was, and and. and you know, people, I, I listened to a lot of the interviews. He said, listen, I work out four hours a day during the season, and that's that's outside of practice. He works out eight hours a day in the, in the off season, and he also wants to be able to pick up his daughters from school, drop his daughters off at school, spend time with them. And he said there's no way with L.A. traffic he was going to be able to do that. Right. He wasn't going to be able to be a great father and be an all-time great NBA player unless he had the helicopter that would save him two, three, four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And and the crazy part about it is, I know it sounds crazy, and I heard T- uh, Tracy McGrady say uh, just yesterday that you know Kobe told him he wanted to die young, like he wanted to be immortalized, he wanted to die a legend, he want to grow old and decrepit and have people have his legend deteriorate. He wanted to die young on top of everything. It's crazy. I know people don't realize how you know it's kind of macabre, but you know you got to think about the Mamba mentality. The yeah. Mamba mentality is he talked to his wife and they decided, all right, this is how dangerous it is. We won't fly on the chopper together ever. All right, ever. We won't like ever be on the chopper together, so we know if something happens, our kids still have a parent. All right, so they that, that wasn't. I mean, you talk about that kind of stuff with your wife. Acquired you know, going risk. In, hey, this is risk, but this is gonna improve our quality of life. It's gonna help me accomplish my dreams, help you accomplish your dreams, all that kind of and stuff. Our kids. That's the bomba mentality. So as if you, if a, you have to do parent. it all over again, given all the risks and given everything. I'm telling you guys, he'd probably do it. He probably would have bought a better helicopter, probably would have had two pilots in there. Probably, you know what I mean? He'd have did it differently, but he still would have had that chopper. That's the Mamba mentality. Every advantage you can have. And that's why, as a competitor, the stories, which we'll tell a couple of them, they're amazing about Kobe. As a parent, those are the conversations that 
my wife and I've had those conversations. Yeah. Like you don't want to have them, but you need to have them. Yeah. Just in case. Well, because you're yeah. a parent then and you brought another life in. And at that point, yeah. it just shows that just them <clears throat> too. It's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. I want to I want to get this out there. There's a couple things I want to get out there um, before we move <clears throat> on. <clears throat> and one is, Rod, you mentioned the Colorado incident and Kobe wasn't perfect. But I think that's part of the appeal to Kobe. And it's no different than take pick your athlete, Kobe, Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods. I think as as a society in America, I think what we love is the fall from grace. Like to see the guy on the pedestal, we love to see the fall. What we love even more is the redemption story, mm-hmm. is what happens on the other side of that. Yep. Um, and I think that's that was honestly part of the appeal to Kobe. And, you know, when he mm-hmm. had – there was the Colorado incident and the jersey change, and it's almost like you look at his career and you can split it into two at that point. It's almost like it's two – Two different guys. He split into two. Yeah, that's what that's what Mamba comes from, right? Yeah, he literally gives himself the the alter ego. You're a wrestling fan, the alter ego of Black Mamba, because he said at that point the world turned on him, and people don't realize Black Mamba. You know, he talks about it because he has a fascination with animals, which we'll get into here in a second. He talks about the Black Mamba is not only the most one of the most lethal snakes, uh, venomous wise in, in in the world, but also it's aggressive. It it lashes out. There, a, a Black Mamba will come hunt you down if it sees you randomly walking the path. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Most snakes don't do that. Like, That's yep. how aggressive. If it is, it, 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 without provocation, it will come after you. So Kobe started at that point. It was him against the world. He wanted to lash out. He made the alter ego so he could go out there and really destroy souls on the basketball court. And then he changed the number a little bit later on. And he said that was the completion of the transformation, that I was a new player, that I was a new Kobe, a new man, everything. He believed the transformation had to be complete. It couldn't just be physical. It had to be metaphysical yeah. and spiritual and all. The, dude, here's a great, great Kobe story. I know we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I get these out real quick. Okay, so Allen Iverson in 1999, Allen Iverson is a phenomenon, right? Allen Iverson scores 40 points, gets 10 assists on Kobe, and I think it's in Philly, all right, in his hometown. Schools him. And Kobe says after that his feelings were hurt, and he was he was just like, he really, really couldn't figure, he was, he was just stupefied. He couldn't figure out Allen Iverson. So here's the story. Uh, AI, uh, this is from the Players' Tribune. AI, uh, AI even uh, was asked about it, too. But they said that Kobe said, working harder wasn't enough to stop AI. I had to study this man maniacally. I obsessively read every article and book I could about AI. (laughs) Every article, every book. I obsessively watched every game he played, even going back to his IUPU All-American days. I obsessively studied his every success, his every struggle. I obsessively searched for any weakness I could find. I searched the world for musings to add to my muse cage. This led me to study how even great white sharks hunt seals off the coast of South Africa. This was the key. They had patience, the timing, the angles. They didn't chase the seals. They <laughs> waited on the seals. It was amazing. Dude, dude, I was like, what the hell? And he said, on February 20th, 2000, in Philadelphia, uh, Phil Jackson gave me the assignment of guarding AI at the start of the second half after I think AI had 17 points in the first half. AI didn't score another point <laughs> in the second half. <laughs> and, and he said, I wanted AI to feel the frustration I felt in 1999. He said, I wanted everyone who laughed at that 41 and 10 who put, who put on me to choke on their laughter. Not that everybody has that competitive sickness. He stu- he he went so deep. He studied. I figured all- it out with the seals. Right. He went to the film. He went to the articles. The he went to the books. Everything. Nature. And then the end. It- <laughs> you go back to was- nature. <laughs> it was Darwinism. He could be watching David Attenborough. That guys. That to me. That sums up Kobe. Here's another great Kobe story. That I, I know we'll move on and talk text. Here's another great Kobe story about his competitive sickness. The mom. He calls it the Mamba mentality. I always call it the competitive sickness. 
So uh, Jamal Crawford um, had his, had to see the Players Tribune about him too, and this was a few years ago. So one of the things about the myth of Kobe Bryant is that he was able to. He was like the talented Mr. Ripley. You ever seen the movie Talented Mr. Ripley? I have not seen it. Talented Mr. Ripley is this guy can emulate anybody. So basically he would basically kind of kill people and then he would take their identity and he'd become them. You know what I mean? And and he would basically like just do everything to make sure that he was able to transform and transmogrify into that person. And Kobe can do that. We know that because of the MJ thing. He was so obsessed with MJ and, and he studied did MJ's movements and everything that he basically looked like MJ when he's he played the He's the only the superstar that's a great that also could say he totally emulated somebody. Dirk Nowitzki has the famous step back one foot jumper, right? That mm-hmm. it, 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 it's so characteristic of him. It's unique. Everybody knows Goofy leg. Kobe stole the jumper. Uh, famously, there's this video of Kobe doing it. They were like, Kobe, did you steal that from Dirk? He's like, Yeah, I stole it from Dirk. He told Dirk that guy stole your jumper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people were like, Man, how did he figure out how to do that? Jamal Crawford says once, and this is not about that particular story, but he says once, I I heard one time in the workout that Kobe practiced the same shot for one hour. The same shot for one hour. Same spot in the court, same movement. And it wasn't like a three-pointer. It was like a shot in mid-range area. Do you know how tedious that is? Do you know how locked in you have to be to do one shot for an hour to trick your mind that way? That's unbelievable. Another story about Kobe Bryant. Taught himself how to play Beethoven's Moonlight from ear. Unbelievable. Just hearing it. Think about the discipline it takes. It's got to take a couple of days, weeks, something. You know what I mean? So so the the mama mentality consists all throughout, right? That's why he's able to mimic MJ. That's why he can take Dirk. But it's also studying the movements of those people and and, and obsessing over, okay, the footwork and this being teased so I can practice one shot for one hour. The stories about Kobe and his competitive sickness and work ethic transcend sports. Shaquille O'Neal claims once he, 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 he walked in on Kobe working out without a basketball. He was, like, just doing movements, grunting, motioning, without a basketball. He was just, like, faking it. And he was like, what the hell is this dude In doing? But he said, you know what? It's pretty damn good. Byron Scott claims when Kobe was uh, was 18, he once walked in on him practicing basketball in the dark because he couldn't find a janitor to help him turn the lights on. <laughs> and he, he was a coach. So he, walked, he was already two, three hours early there before practice. Kobe was already in there sweating. No lights on. He's shooting basketball in the dark. Can't be good for your eyes. No. That's how obsessive he was. That's what you take from Kobe. Anyway, uh, Kobe wasn't a good person. I don't like that. Whatever. Kobe admitted he was an a-hole. He said he made teammates cry before. He was not a good person. And the mama mentality, it, 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 this, a great quote from Kobe said, friend, he said, I have no friends. I don't have a lot of good friends. He said, friends come and go, but banners hang forever. Because he said, I can't be the greatest basketball player on the planet and also be a good friend to you. Why? Because they take time. Yeah. It takes time. And that's why the, the helicopter, it all comes back to the helicopter. That takes time. The helicopter saved him time. That was the key to the Mamba mentality. Well, and, the one, and then you could always see that with him, like the one thing about him is the change within his career. Because like, we see – the basketball version of Kobe. But then whenever you started to see the family side of Kobe late in his career and seeing him around just doing stuff that you would not have believed or thought was exactly what Kobe would be doing. And then it gets to the point that, like, I learned so much about his daughter and how huge she was strictly for a whole generation of young girls and like it's really sad to see but i then like after seeing the videos and you see kobe wearing the WNBA logo t-shirt and the thing that he was trying to do with you could really tell that once he became the father not only the father aspect but the father of these women and him just talking about 
how much he like he's like no i'm a girl dad he's like i really mm-hmm. actually didn't and how you were just saying that he didn't have friends but like that was competitor kobe that wasn't the way that mm-hmm. we talk about you know seeing coaches evolve how mac brown maybe came in as a hungry youngster but he left as a grandpa that was old and comfortable and we were seeing not only the change of kobe say from the mamba and the end of his career to what we were just getting little pieces of <clears throat> post career but that really that changed man inside it seemed to be playing out in his family life on a day-to-day basis and it really sucks because I didn't I had no clue when I'm reading like on the bottom line quotes from Neko Wumikate saying that like Giannis Bryant was literally like the future of women's basketball like she was going to be the face of this yep. league and those type of things just really suck overall but at least there's like some type of folklore and legacy to continue with that family yeah um mike roach our outstanding recruiting editor at horns 24 7 he actually has a kobe story that he posted on twitter uh one kobe moment i can share i was working in promo for a radio station the night kobe dropped 62 and three quarters on the mavs we did the post-game show in a place overlooking the practice court. Just as we were wrapping up, Kobe came out to put up shots. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And then I just want to read the statement. Oh, that was a 60 and three quarters. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Went three three again. He outscored the Mavs by himself. In three quarters. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. Um, Not the Jalen Rose 81. This is, uh, this is part of Shaka Smart. He was asked about Kobe on Monday. And was asked about the influence he's had. And I think this quote quote from Shaka sums it up. Well, I think he's had a ton of influence. I actually wish more guys would really, really study him and understand what he was about. It's interesting. We're almost getting to the age now with our younger guys and guys we're recruiting that they really didn't start watching basketball until after Kobe's prime. There's a ton of things that are impressive about him, but I think at the top of the list is just his standard, a standard that he had for himself, for his teammates, and it was an unwavering standard that centered around one thing, winning again in terms of following an example i don't think there's a better guy to follow life has gotten maybe a little more complex since the time that he came out of high school so i think maybe that has changed certain people's perspective and approach towards what they do but he was about winning he held his teammates himself his coaches everyone to such a ridiculously high standard that's why he was able to will his teams to what he was able to do he's really going to be missed yeah no it is it uh it's one of those things i, I was you know, one quick nugget before we move on to Texas football. Weibo is the uh, Chinese version of Twitter, and they're dealing with, obviously, the coronavirus. They're quarantining, like, close to 60 million people. I mean, it's very, obviously, very unfortunate. They're dealing with some really tough, tough stuff. But uh, when Kobe died on Sunday, uh, 2.4 billion views, I think it's the views, impressions, and engagements on Weibo, uh, Chinese Twitter, were about Kobe, the most widely discussed topic on Chinese version of Twitter. Uh, he <laughs> So instead of talking about the virus potentially that's taking over their country and killing people, they were talking about Kobe. Yeah. That's how important it was. Kobe's taking over Super Bowl week. Super Bowl week, we're not even talking about the Super Bowl. Right. We're talking about Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is crazy. The Grammys. We weren't talking about the Grammys anymore. We were talking about Kobe and Kobe's mm-hmm. house. It's just amazing how it's taking over pop culture right now. And uh, the last thing I'll say is, Rod, you've been in my office. Uh, I've got the trading card display on one of my shelves in my office. Mm-hmm. I walk by it every day. I got three cards in a little holder. It's a LeBron rookie card, Michael Jordan, and Kobe right there. I walk Amen. by it every day. Amen. So Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. There, there's no easy way to segue, but let's segue. Um, I, I wanna, two topics I want to touch this week because we talked about, and I don't know how much more we could talk about the coaching search slash hiring process since 
that's kind of stalled a little mm-hmm. bit, at least I think until Texas gets through signing day uh, to hire that second defensive line coach. But I want to talk a little recruiting just in terms of how it impacts the big picture. But I want to start with the Senior Bowl, Rod. And I'll be honest, Rod, 100%, I yield to you on a lot of the NFL stuff because I'm just kind of miffed every year at what this league apparently values, what they don't value, why they draft certain guys, why they don't draft certain guys, how a guy like Charles Amenahu can fall to the fifth round, and then it was like, oh, man, he should have been taken higher. Yeah, we sat here and told everybody he should have been taken higher. So... I didn't even know Patrick Mahomes was a first-round pick. Except for well. Andy Reid. Yeah, Andy Reid. He's out there. I think what I'm talking about until the process was over. Remember, at the beginning of the process, he was like a second round. He was like third-round pick. Like, yeah, he was a second-round guy. And Joe Burrow at this time a year ago was like yeah, a, and day, about it, a exactly. day three pick. Un- yeah, exactly. So it, it, they, don't, they don't really know. Yeah. So the Senior Bowl goes down. Brandon Jones doesn't play in the Senior Bowl because of the shoulder injury he had late in the year that caused him to miss the bowl game. And I talked to a team source who told me Brandon Jones really wanted to play in the bowl game, but the injury was just such that yeah, it's it, not worth it, it wasn't worth hurt it yourself for him. Again. He was going to yeah. be – it could have been a detriment to the team. It was better to have a healthy Caden Stearns and B.J. Foster back there than have Brandon Jones at not anywhere in the ballpark close to 100%. Totally agree. I do think – you know, Brand, I, I, I want to talk – we'll talk about Colin Johnson Devin Duvernay here in a sec, but with Brandon Jones, Rod, I kind of think he is what he is in terms of the eyes of the draft evaluators. Just from the standpoint that I think he can go, he can go to the combine and run a great time, which I've had people tell me they think he can go to the combine and run a great time. I think he can. Uh, but I think it, his ball skills kind of are what they are. Like there, there's enough tape out there to show you what his ball skills are, and I think Brandon Jones will be the first to admit to you yeah. his ball skills are not that great. So I think really it's kind of combine or bust for him at this point. Uh, yeah, if he wants to significantly increase his draft stock, I think he's got good film out there. I think the fact that he's played nickel and you've seen him play multiple positions in that secondary at the safety position, I think it helps him. He does have a lot of versatility. Uh, I don't know if he's going to go there and run a four, a low four four or anything like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's that fast. I, I mean, I, I really, I genuinely don't know. I don't know saying. either. Yeah, I don't, I don't know his the. the yeah, I re- don't really have a grasp on how fast Brandon Jones is, but I know he's really skilled. I like Brandon Jones as a player. I think a team could really use a, a player like with his versatility on the back end. So I, I think he'll get drafted. He'll probably get drafted around where Robbie got drafted, truth be told. Um, you know, I mean, so he'd be maybe late day two or day three. Thir- I think he's a third or fourth round guy. You know what Lacking I mean? Lacking ball skills was also no, no, the criticism. Like, yeah, no, like, like a, that's yeah. where you get a good value. Like literally, yeah, that, I when I first player. read that, that's something that I'm I was not- like, oh, this means that he's going to actually probably go to a place that's going to value yeah. his skill set yeah. and be a good exactly. landing spot. Like he's a good DB. Yet you're saying only the few random times that he might be able to make a interception, that is why we're only going to devalue him. Because in theory, that's like four or five pass plays out of hundreds in a season. But that, that, those four or five pass plays can be they are big, the and they're more valued than they were. I mean, honestly, the truth is, if I'd have caught three, three, three of the four, three of the three or four more picks that I dropped, I'd have probably been drafted in the third round instead of the fourth round. That's just the way. That's it why is. the perfect. I mean, yeah. you're that but, type of comparison. But I will say that's because they're drafted. Drafting specific things, right? They want a ball hawk. So, mm-hmm. all right, ball hawks, there's more value on ball. Yep. They got these big boards, these big charts, all right? So, they're, they're va- there's certain things that certain teams value speed over other teams. Certain teams value tackling ability. Depends on the system they're running. So, with a guy like Brandon Jones. He's uh, going to drop know, you off that first day board. I think, yeah, he doesn't have the, the elite speed. I don't think I don't think he has any elite quality. Maybe that's yeah, it. So, that's yeah, why Give me the elite quality down. for Brandon Jones. He really does He does one. better than everybody else or as good as everybody else. 
or none, as good but as the all best. of which not, are satisfactory. No ball skills, no speed. Not a great tackler. He's not, you know, but he's good at a lot of things. But he's not great at anything. No, no, by the way, Rod B wasn't necessarily great at anything. He covered man to man. And I don't think I don't think Brandon Jones is necessarily bad at anything. But the ball exactly. the ball skills aren't elite. You yeah, know? but the, the, for the first and second round, they want a skill. They want a trait that's elite. They're gonna be like, oh, see, he does. He's elite at this. If you look you have at the him. One. You know what I mean? Well, that's and, why we were talking about Holton Hill a couple years ago. That's why Holton Hill, Rod, I know you talked to some of your scouting buddies. Like, there were teams that had Holton Hill with like a second round grade. Oh, they loved Holton mm-hmm. Hill, but the knucklehead in Holton Hill just wasn't like, worth it. Got a super value because he yeah. was playing a lot with yeah. the Vikings. Happens, Rod, happens all the time. Here's what I can't figure out. And I'm not, I don't mean to demean Holton, so I'm just speaking in general. I think if you go to the combine and you test positive for marijuana, then. I think that's not a character issue. That's an intelligence issue, because you know you're going to be tested. It's both. Yeah, <laughs> it no, could be. But you it's more so an intelligence thing. Like you, you, there's a time you know it's coming. That sometimes you think you aren't going to get caught, though. You think you might have something that's going to make you. It's yeah. not smart, and that's no, it's both. A- adding to your intelligence area. Yeah. But yeah, it's a varying of degrees. That's why he's off from people's boards. It was like, okay, he's off the damn board. I can't believe because what either they're like, this guy's failed the idiot test, and he's not smart to know. Can you just stop smoking for the two months or whatever you got? If you can't do that, you also got a problem, which I don't want you on my board. Right. Or it's a character issue, and he's just you know he's got a bad character, and then he you know so I don't think it's either one necessarily with Holden Hill, but that's the perception that gets you scratched off a lot of people's boards. I say entirely. that because you know when the combine comes you know up, it's going to happen to somebody. There's going to be three or four guys. Hopefully it's going to happen. Well, they that test BS. everybody at the combine. Well, I know, that's but what I'm like, saying. Like, yeah, like, we need to just have the conversation, though. The combine, and they're slowly going to quit testing for weed because it's You're not going to fall pointless. between the raindrops, though. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> right. Like, have y'all followed legislation here in Austin the last two weeks? Now, you, it isn't even illegal. You get pulled over. You can't even be taken yeah. to jail for weed. And you have states where it's legal. So that is something that the NFL yeah, is going to continue to be not as punitive. You've been but NFL's a private company, so that doesn't matter. A private company right now that hires you and me, they can also say, hey, I want to I'm going to piss test you, and then you get tested. I'm and just saying if you're so using it a, against somebody, a, the, the we're going to see less Government of regulation and private company regulation are two different things. Yep. So the NFL, we've already talked about it. NFL 100%. can do what they want to do. But I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. But that's no reason for the players to go out there and, and try to maintain that stance as to why they're testing positive. Agreed. No. Just saying that the way you yeah. grow up in certain areas and places, it's a Still lot no different excuse, than though. like, no, right, I agree. Yeah. It's not can an I, excuse. Can I make a, a quick NFL? But I agree with you. I'm not making a point, but can I ask you a question Just like to point out the pointless <laughs> things that um, we talk about sometimes. When no, we no talk question. about elite traits, right? I think when you when we looked at Quandre Diggs coming out of the draft, Quandre had some elite traits. Like when he was He's a, ball, a ball, hawk. ball hawk and football IQ off the charts. I see football IQ off the charts. I love that he's an old soul. That helps too. They like guys who grew up in football families. As, as a as a fan of the Dallas Football Cowboys, when I see that Quandre Diggs went to the Seattle went to the Seahawks just for a seven, we talked about that. Yeah. Ridiculous. And then to the look te- at the Texans need him too. I don't know why the Texans to look at how like oh the Seahawks are suddenly their turnovers are raining in again because I think Quandary's half the, the NFL would have given up a set. But actually, I think, I think twenty five out of thirty two teams would have given up a seventh round pick for Quandre Diggs. Even if you guys started like a seventh. Hell yeah, I'll take it. Because yeah. he had a very friendly contract, too. I don't know why the hell the, the Detroit Lions did that. That was crazy. Even Darius Slay said, I don't know what we're doing. Because he, they're the Detroit Lions? He's like, that didn't make no sense at all. That guy was a good player. You got him cheap. I don't know what the hell And to doing. answer Jeff's <laughs> question, it's because they're the Dallas Cowboys. It's yeah. like there's no vision there. No, but Jerry the Cowboys, Jones. yeah, anybody should have done that. I don't but know. I, think, I think Brandon Jones could be one of those value picks for the Cowboys, like in the you know, could be. third, yeah. fourth round, because they need, they they need, need safety, safety help. help. I agree with uh, that. So let's talk about Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay. Rod, I think Colin Johnson 
I don't know if he was expected to like just blow it out and have this great senior bowl. He definitely I don't think he he definitely didn't hurt himself, but he did help himself yeah. in Mobile with what he did. Because yeah. I think everybody finally said, okay, a healthy Colin Johnson, is he a first round guy? Probably not. But is there great value there with him? Absolutely. Because when you talk about guys that get drafted in the first three rounds, he's got elite traits. He does. His his ability to use his body, his, his high, high point, point ball skills, yeah. catch radius, yeah. those are elite traits. Yeah. Um I mean I, I remember this is from I'll make sure I get the date right. Okay, so from the from twenty nineteen mock draft, if Colin Johnson had left early. All right. So if he had left early, this is from the mock drafts. Matt Miller at Bleacher Report had him in nineteenth overall. R.J. White had him 25th overall to Green Bay. Walter Camp had him 16th overall to Philly. Draft Blaster had him 26th overall to Atlanta. The Big Lead had him 26th overall to Carolina. Obviously, mock drafts from a couple of years ago. And then mock drafts prior to this season for Colin Johnson before the injuries and everything. Um, SB Nation's mock draft had him at number 22 to the Cowboys. Um, uh, Sporting News mock draft had him at number 23 to the San Diego Chargers. Bleacher Report mock draft had him going to the L.A. Chargers, and I believe that was also in the first round. Sports Illustrated mock draft had him going number 13 to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, <laughs> getting back to your point about he's, he's got elite traits, so usually that boosts you high up on somebody's mm-hmm. draft board if you got one or two things that he's really, really elite at that. He, he's got, like you said, he's going to be... He's going to be a high prospect on people's draft boards. It's always going to be about his 40 time. He's big. He's long. He's range. He's got an old soul because his dad was also a great football player. So someone from a football family. Can he run mid to low 4-5? With the measurables. Yeah. Can you run a mid? If he runs a mid to a low 4-5, people are going to start salivating over this dude. Yeah. Like right now, I think the projection is he's going to run a 4-6 to a high 4-5, maybe like that. But if he can crack that... I got to. T- I know it sounds really yeah. superficial and shallow. He's gonna go up at least one round in yeah, the draft. Shout out to uh, Billy Embody from Twenty Four Seven Sports. Billy does great work for us on the network. Uh, Billy got some audio from Colin Johnson at the Senior Bowl, and I listened to it. Colin sounds confident he's going to run in the four or five range. If he does, I'm telling you, no, no, four fives. You know, I know it sounds superficial and shallow. Four five nine, four five eight, different from four five one. Yeah, four, you know what four, I mean? four nine. Five, and I know it's like what? That's like seven tenths of a second, dude. I to know. them, it's huge. <laughs> it's a first rounder to, or a second to or them, third that's rounder. Between them creating separation at the NFL level and you not being able to create separation at the NFL level while you run a route. So, yeah, I think he can run a four five if he runs mid four five. Man, the game changes for Colin Johnson. He's going to interview well because if you've spoken to Colin Johnson for more than two minutes, you know, yeah. okay, he gets it. His, his dad, he's obviously taught him well. He knows how to play the game. He's going to do well in drills, too, because I think he's got really good hands, and he's long and rangy. That 40 time, and I hate to say it because it's so trivial, because I know in the end it doesn't matter at the NFL level. It's all about whether you can play, but that's what's going to determine that's what, that's whether he's what drafted in the first the dra- three rounds or drafted in the last three rounds. Yeah, that's what I was just – when I said at the top about the draft process, like does the 40 time really matter that damn much when you start to break it down? But for some teams it does. For, for listen, Al Davis famously you know, won multiple Super Bowls because he's like, listen, we're going to have the fastest speed. team in the NFL and speed kills one thing you cannot teach. And sin- from then on, almost like the Bill Walsh coaching tree, how a lot of those fundamental concepts and philosophies have been able to trickle down because they've had 
that sustainability and longevity. People still, and I believe it. Speed you cannot teach, right. and it is freakish. Well, if you're but equal. I will say that football speed is something that people are starting to realize is a thing. And yep. football speed ain't what people think it is. It's all about angles to the football, and it's IQ, all about Quandre. football IQ, and they be able to process a play. And that's why Lil Jordan Humphrey, I believe Lil Jordan Humphrey, and we talked about this, can play at the NFL level. Uh, and they realized, I think the Saints have realized that, like, no, he's pretty good at, you know, watching him in practice squad and everything like that. But what do you run, a 4'9"? Yeah, 4'8", 9". 4'8", 9". Even to this day, you go, hey, I watched him on a football field, and I swear I've seen him run faster than a 4'8", on a football field with pads on, helmet on, with a defender draped on him, and yet that's what he runs. But that's, that's football speed is a different thing. Yeah. So you got to be able to evaluate that. Too. And we talked about yeah. Quandre a second ago, and it's weird. If you look at, and I know this sounds a little crazy, but if you look at the person and the player, not much difference from Colin Johnson and Quandre, but except for when you look at the measurables, and one's diminutive and drops well, in value, and the other one has all of also the great measurables and the speed. So, but I'm talking about like the identifying no, no, of angles, totally the old head. You're a value Quandre guy, right? Kid, you you yes. know value better than anybody. This is the thing that's hurting Colin Johnson. I've, I've said this for years. The wide receiving position is the deepest position in football mm-hmm. and has been for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep repeating that until people start repeating it and you'll start hearing it nationally. It is. And it has yeah. been. Every year you'll hear them say, this is the deepest wide receiver position we've had in years. Mm-hmm. This might be the deepest in 20 years. They said that last year, actually. And We're they're saying it again this year. They said it two, three years ago. They'll say because every good pro football program in college now has five, at least five wide receivers. At least five good ones. And then some, like LSU's got like three elite ones. Look and at Texas, Ole Miss hell, last Texas year. Got, Texas got two damn good ones. Last year had three damn good ones. Ole Miss this last hell. year was DK Metcalf yeah. and Brown. You go look at Baylor. Baylor's got like two or three good ones. Dude, they're everywhere. Yep. And so in that vein, I think teams are starting to, get, are starting to realize I can find really good wide receiving talent late. Clemson's I really about can. to have four of them come yeah, out like, in two I don't, years. Yeah, some of these guys, got, this could be a Devin Duvernay drops in my lap in the, in the, sec, in in the third round. round or so, you know what I mean? I might get a Colin Johnson in the fourth. I think so. I think that is driving down the wide receiving value on the opposite 100%. end. 100%. It's hard to find DBs in this era of very progressive modern age football with the RPOs and the up tempo offenses and, you know, uh, all the different ways with the dual threat quarterbacks and all the different ways that the offense is gaining advantages over the defense for mm-hmm. just an instinctual football player to like go out Quandre. there and make a play, even when he's disadvantaged by the scheme, right? The, the scheme has an advantage over him, but Quandre's like, I, I feel it. And the I'm mismatch. Going, you know what? I'm taking that. this angle because. I know, I, even though I'm supposed to go on the outside show, mm-hmm. I'm going inside because I know I can make this play. You need more defenders like that. So I think Quandre's stock is actually rising, guys like him. And I think the stock of wide receivers who are really, really skilled, I think it's dropping just because there's so many good. Hell, Alabama's got like four first-round wide receivers. Yep, it's absurd. Like, like, you know, they're everywhere. Why? Because we're playing a, a prolific spreading offense and everybody needs six wide receivers in the rotation alone. Yep. Yeah. To your point, Rod, and I think you'll see this in the draft, you know, there's certain positions every year that are going to be overvalued and overdrafted. Like quarterbacks are always overdrafted. Always. Left tackles. If you can be a legit left tackle, you're always overdrafted. Amen. Uh, Edge rushers. Always, like every year, you're going to see an edge rusher that might have a legit third round grade that ends up going in the top 15 picks. Yep. Except for my old man. Yeah. <laughs> and you know corners like corners. If you got if you if you're one of those corners that goes to the combine and runs a four three, you're long and rangy. Yep. You're six one. You might have had a third round grade, son. You're just going in the top twenty. Congratulations. Yep, that's exactly right. So, but then like you said, wide receivers one of those safety is one of those positions that is continually undervalued. It is undervalued for whatever reason. Yeah. 
And yet it. we got the turnover numbers every year to suggest that, no, you need to invest in this position. You it's need cool. to value this That's position. That's Brandon yeah. Jones, the high bat- football <clears throat> yeah. IQ. He could really fit that mold if he is that type of guy that it may be tough. Now, a lot of those guys, it's a bummer because like maybe the first year's the hardest one because you're just trying to hold on a roster. You, you haven't team, been yeah. able to prove that this wealth of knowledge that is yeah. really immeasurable within your mind. That I agree with that. Only another great mind that can sight and see those intangibles within somebody i mean pete carroll's like i get he calls him little earl is what he calls quandary yeah, he, he just called to show up i say yeah. i can go trade for me a little earl he like did. hell i would be surprised if he just continues to come to texas and trying to get dbs down here you know like those type but get you have to know what yeah. you want and have to identify it and yeah. then have the confidence or say the job stability which a lot of these guys maybe don't have to even have the you know balls to go out there and take something that's believed or perceived to be an outside the box or maybe not a great pick but you're doing it strictly because no it's my strength i identify it let's go i will say that i think both Devin duvernay and con johnson are going to be duvernay's i think duvernay's going to be a steal i think there's a a, i I think shanahan loves guys like that i know we're talking a lot about channel but i think shano loves guys like that we know that because he drafted jalen hurd out of baylor Mm -hmm. right he Mm -hmm. he's really high on jalen hurd but i think he's dealing with injuries this year but he's got the same kind of Skill set multiplicity with a guy like Debo, Debo Samuel loves guys like that, and Devin Duvernay's got some Debo in him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We yeah. all know Devin Duvernay got a little Debo in him. Matter of fact, I, what if uh, and Debo Samuel I think is a better wide receiver right now than 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 Devin Duvernay. I'll say that right now. I, true, I truly believe that. Awesome Last name year, too. Debo Samuel had twenty one forced missed tackles. I think right now Devin Duvernay's got twenty. I think he's got twenty three. Wow. Um, force, and that's just on reception. That Delpit one yeah. should be counting as two. It should be counting uh, as two. <laughs> and here's D- – I'm looking at Debo Samuel's pre-draft measurables. Tell me if this doesn't sound like Devin Duvernay. 5'11 and a quarter, 214 pounds, 31 and 3 inch arms, uh, hand size 10 inches, 40-yard 40 40 yard dash, 448, 4'14 uh, short shuttle, 703 cone drill, 39 inch vert, 10 2 broad jump, 15 reps on a bench. And Duvernay's going to better he's, some of those numbers. I think he's going to be numbers. better than that. Like, yeah, just to work. Like, out. Devin Duvernay could go, probably going to go in the 20, 20 to 25 range on a bench press. And he's I think be he'll be a low 4 4 and a 4 3 guy. I don't know if he'll hit 4 2 like Mark. Like he, he's going to be a 4 3. Like guy. He's a, people forget, like, he's a legit 600 pound squat guy. Yeah, people. Yeah. And then we <laughs> already talked about that. But Greg Delpit probably knows Devin Duvernay's yeah. a 600 yeah. pound squat guy. Well, and I mean, even all the way back to like the 80s, and it's been like you look at that lower torso. I heard your boy Sims talking about like mm-hmm. one of the first things his dad taught him about on the football field was like nope you know what makes lt great it's that, that booty that big butt, and then, yeah. like it's and the base. same idea well and you have that with somebody like duvernay and you see that same body type with debo samuel when you brought yeah. that up it just reminded me of him. no he, i think he's a i think in terms of unique i grade receivers at texas by how tough they would have been for me to guard i think shipley would have been the toughest Roy Williams was second toughest and i think devin duvernay would have been third i think he'd be the toughest guy to, to, to cover out there he's Freaking of, he's just they're a not arm tackling that guy. Well, because I don't want to give him, I want to give him cushion because he runs a ten two. So I'm yeah. not gonna let him just run right past me. I don't want him to get yeah. even. It's hard to jam a guy who squats six hundred pounds because it, I don't know if it's I like can slow him down. He just yeah, just kind of. And then I don't want to give him cushion because he breaks a lot of damn tackles. So if I give him too much cushion, he catches the ball in front of me. That's what he loves. And Great then we're hands. squared up. I he's dude. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the the other thing about the Senior Bowl that just drove me nuts is, and I saw people like Todd McShay talk about it, like the this assumption of like, well, Duvernay's top end speed isn't great. A freaking Google search and spending 
five seconds online will tell you everything you need to know about his top end speed. Yeah, it's crazy. That's just lazy. That's lazy I can't scouting. believe people said that too. That's and weird. then like you look he at like won the state right. And, like, 10, yeah, 10, I, I watched him run. I watched him run a ten two seven with my own eyes. I watched it. I think it was winded. So it was like a people also, hour, well, anyway, people said Derrick Henry didn't have top end speed, and God. he was also the state champion yeah. trackster. Yeah, of but I think he was clocked at twenty one miles per hour at the senior senior bowl. Exactly, like the catapult numbers. It was him, and I, there was a couple of the guys I forget yeah. who it was, but he was like the good. second fastest or third fastest Kinda guy ridiculous. at the senior bowl. So you, I think though. If you're a Texas fan following the draft, and look, you're going to hear all the tropes on draft day. Oh, Texas didn't have a guy in the first round. Well, get that through your head right now. None of these guys are getting taken in the first round unless no. just like Duran no, runs no, like no. a 4-2-4 four, four or something at the Still combine. Still won't get drafted in the first round. It won't happen. Right. Like something just insane is going to have to happen for that to happen. So just get that out of your mind yeah. that that's going to happen. But I think that we're going into draft time, and we're you know the past couple of years it's been, well, could this guy get taken? Could this guy get taken? I think I feel pretty confident saying all three of those guys are going to get drafted. I totally agree. And I think if I'm, if I'm judging it, if I'm predicting, I'd draft Devin DuVernay ahead of all of them. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if you got to day three and all those guys are off the board already. Yep, and it wouldn't surprise me if you got day three and they're all still on the board. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be shocked either way. I'd be like, okay. I'd like, like, if you'd ask me. You never know what's going to be a run on a certain position or in whatever. In those positions. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, what you're talking about, Rod, with wide receiver, yes, it's deep, but you could get to, you know, the middle of the second round and somebody could be saying, oh, man, oh, maybe we had Jalen Rager as our, our guy that we thought we could get in late. That, now he's going 20 spots ahead of time. Well, who's our next best receiver? If they've got Devin Duvernay graded as the next best receiver, like, be the guy. he either needs to be our next pick or maybe we need to trade up to get him if there's a run on receivers. So, you never know. You never yeah. know. Yeah. Um, anything else, Rod, stand out senior bowl-wise or draft-wise? Um, I mean, is, is know, there – well, I mean, keep in mind this 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 process and us projecting is not about these guys making it in the league and making a roster. This is about their draft prospects and their draft stock. And I, this it seems crazy that we just played a whole season of football and now this is what it comes down to whether these guys are going to get drafted or not. If they just get on an NFL roster, I I think honestly all three of these guys can stick for a while. Yeah. Keep in mind the average NFL career is three and a half years. Yeah. So when I say stick for a while, I mean make it more than a year on a yeah. roster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think they can. Yeah, I mean, Matt, when we do our uh, – we've d- done our bust rates and hit rates, I mean, we've basically said, like, look, if you're at least on a practice squad for a full year, Dude. we count you as an NFL guy. Cause that's <laughs> that a, is an NFL. It's a three-and-a-half-year career. And, you know, I t- Rod, I texted you during the draft because I know I know we poke fun at Rod B's NFL career. We have fun at Rod's expense. but in the NFL. I t- Rod, I made a point to text you last year during the draft. Like, to be, to be just – to be drafted, to have your name called, and to it get is. a few years out of it, I mean, that is a hell of an accomplishment when you consider – Rod, the small of guys that have ever played the game of football at any level, yeah. the extremely minuscule percentage of people you're yeah. in, it's a hell of an accomplishment. No, it is. And to, well, I, I, even Beyond, the guys that like stick the on the rosters, league. though, those are the guys that I admire, like the Corey Reddings of the world and, and you know, Derek Johnson that stick yeah. for, yeah. you know, called 10 years. I mean, I'm like, I don't know how. Frank Gore's a dinosaur. Like, it's amazing. It really is when you watch. I mean, what's the. Um, I saw Ed Reed on the no, sideline. Larry Fitzgerald is playing like 17 years now, yeah. right? Yeah. Fountain Dude. of Youth. I, yes, I remember guys, thinking, man, I don't amazing. like this Fitzgerald guy. Man. He got drafted ahead of Roy Williams. They were like the same draft. Like that's how <laughs> long it's really? been. Damn, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's exactly. he was that's how, over. That's how, that, I mean, some guys they can play that long, and, and some he's guys doing can, that in the yeah, slot. If you can make it with volume, yeah. if you can like, make it a year or two on the NFL roster, dude. I got respect for you. It ain't it ain't easy. 
It's insane. I mean, just talking about getting a college scholarship is the amazingly yeah. elite level, but we're talking about the But now NFL we're going to the XFL, and... though, baby. Eh. It had that when I was around. It would have played five more years. <laughs> Easy. That's what I'm really upset about. I'm like, damn it. If I had a league like and that And you would have played in the ruthless XFL. Like they played, had hockey I'm, I'm cool. scrums. Hey, that would have been, been all for it, man. That I'd one have, had some crazy rules. I had a rules. great name on the back of my jersey, Black Caesar. People were like, yeah. Black in the middle of me, like, he hate me. Black Caesar. Man, you Black Caesar? Yeah, I'm Black Caesar. Uh, yeah. So, that would have been awesome. Which, by the way, there's a there's a great companion podcast. You know, the, the XFL had the, the ESPN of the 30 for 30. This was the XFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a wrestling podcast I listened to, Bruce Pritchard. It's called Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, who's still in the WWE now. He's one of Vince McMahon's right hand guys, and he was basically talking about it was like a companion podcast. We was talking uh, about like here's yeah, it's like here's oh. all here's all our side of the story. Dude, I bet those are awesome. And <laughs> Matt, if you need to bleep this, bleep this. But there was a they they were doing like names on the back of jersey, like you could put your own names on the back of jersey. <laughs> and this guy wanted to put oh, on the back yeah. of his jersey. He wanted to have teabagger on the back of his jersey, <laughs> and they had to explain to Vince McMahon like oh, and, no. and yeah, <laughs> y'all want to get really inside here. That, that happened. Awesome. That, that had to be described to Craig Way because Taylor Teagarden's nickname was the same thing. <laughs> and Craig Way was saying that name on the air and didn't know what was being referenced. Wow. And had to be told no. by Dedamore never and knew others that. not to call him Teabag. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's ever been put out there, but this is a podcast that's perfect to tell that one. Oh, my God. I could see Craig not knowing that. Vince McMahon, I'm surprised. The more Same you read about Vince McMahon, Rod, right, he is true. he is so much in the wrestling bubble. That, that he didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick, Flair, Rick Flair knew about it, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> well, like, and Matt, again, bleep this if you need to, but like. Oh one of one of John Cena's signature moves he does is called the five knuckle shuffle, and Vince McMahon had no idea what that meant. Like they had to explain <laughs> it. Like years later, he found out what it meant. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Some some of those eccentric oh, dudes are so in the bubble that a that lot of stuff great. just goes over your head. That is an awesome story. What's the name of that podcast? Uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Something to wrestle. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to check something that out. It's, 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 good. Really, it, it's, it's good. It's good. It's high quality entertainment. Uh, but here's real quick. Uh, tech long, lifetime Longhorns on XFL rosters. Gerard Hurd in Dallas playing for Bob Stoops. Nice. Uh, Patrick Vahey and Cedric Reed are on the Los Angeles Wildcats. And Kent Perkins is a member of the St. Louis Battlehawks. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. PJ Locke, I think, was supposed to be on the Tampa Bay team. He's but, been bouncing back. He got but he signed yeah. a deal late in the year with the Broncos, and Broncos. he's, I believe, just signed a futures contract with the Broncos also. Yeah. PJ Locke's got he, – he's, he's in the midst of having one of those Adrian Phillips stories. Like, he could – because the NFL likes him. You can tell you can tell a lot of people had him on their board. But again – he's had we, two chances already. Like, we're talking about with Brandon Jones. It's guys that can – you know, you that play, safety position's undervalued, yep. and when they play figure nickel. out, well, you can play nickel, you can play dime, you yep. can play boundary you like field. You play corner if you, yeah, if you know yeah. Just uh, if, you're, hey. if you're making a 53, you're like, well, this guy, we, we got depth at four different positions with this one guy. Amen, and he can play on all your, all your all coverage your teams. teams. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of value It matters in, in the league, brother. It's really – Kent Perkins, like, retired last year, but I don't know. Maybe he just won out of Cincinnati. I haven't talked to Kent or anything. I don't know if he just – was done with the oh, Bengals. Oh, yeah, and then another long one just signed a contract O-line. Was it Trey Hopkins? Who signed a contract? Yeah, Trey Hopkins got an extension on like four. Yeah. Matt, I don't know if you find the number. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Four, yeah, for, four that. for 22, mm-hmm. I think, something yeah. like that. Doing well. As, yeah. un, as an undrafted, those 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 lifetime Longhorns as undrafted free agents, oh, man. Tons of Marcus oh, Marcus Johnson still in the league. <laughs> yeah. Malcolm Brown got a second contract. Yeah. Make it bread, man. Yeah. So, but but that brings me to this, Rod. Before <laughs> we talk a little recruiting and wrap this up. Um, Malcolm Roach seems like one of those guys that you've heard enough buzz about that 
he might not be drafted, but he's going to have a chance to make a roster. I love, you know, I've always loved Malcolm Roach, man. Coach's son. Uh, can, in high school, I believe he played every position on the front seven. He's defensive line they, Quandre. Yeah, exactly. Right. He played DN. Hell, at Texas, he played every position he, in the front seven. He pretty much did. do. I think, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes undrafted or late, like sixth or seventh round, and Belichick is like. And then plays for a decade. I like that dude. I swear, <laughs> that wouldn't. He's, he very he kind of fits Belichick. You know, Belichick loves guys like that. He loves guys that are kind of hybrid players. He can Hell, move around. Well, not just that, though. And or Carroll will get him to go play alongside. Well, or Carroll. Like, that's a good and, point. And here's what you got to think about Devin Duvernay, too. Like we mentioned the Debo Samuel thing. Like start looking at guys that have worked for Kyle Shanahan off that coaching tree. Sean McVay is one of those guys. Yeah. Matt LaFleur is one of those guys. Yeah. So with the Belichick tree, you start thinking about a guy like Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. Great point. Who values the same yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Right about that. Brian Flores in Miami. Yeah. Maybe? No, no, no. You I know, that, Bill, that, o, Bill O'Brien just had a really good experience with one Texas guy that they drafted in Charles Amenahu. They love Charles Amenahu. That's true. Down in Houston. Yeah. No, yeah. Malcolm Roach will call – he's a penny stock, too. I mean, he'll cost you nothing. Yeah. The upside could be through the roof for the guy. Just, like and, and, and it's mm-hmm. – but we talk about traits. Like, that's why Andrew Beck is on an NFL roster right now. Andrew Beck does one thing at an elite level. Elite blocker, baby. Even Belichick loved him, right? Belichick gave him the – he got the largest signing bonus for any non – sorry, signing bonus. Yeah, it was a signing bonus. Largest signing mm-hmm. bonus for any undrafted free agent that Patriots brought in last year. Yeah. Because they were like, no, we really like this guy. Because they, you know, they, were, they were using a fullback last year predominantly. And I guarantee they looked at Andrew Beck as a guy that could play that role of an H-back fullback. Great man, and the, well, the Broncos. The Broncos is doing the same in. thing in Seattle. He's playing a ton blocking for them. He yeah, never yeah. gets the ball thrown to him. He's just always <laughs> he's out there. Forty six blocking. Yeah. No, you're right. You have one elite tool, man. Have something that you do really well. Perfect it. Cultivate. That's the that's the mamba mentality. Find something you do really really well and become great at it. Well, it was like you know I, I remember talking to Calvin Anderson last year before the draft and. It's kind of one of those things with you know guys that stick in the league. Rod Calvin Anderson's like, look, my best avail, my best ability is my availability. Guy played every single game of his collegiate career. That's true. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. he found his way on an active roster. Yeah, no, you're right about that, man. No, I agree with you. So it, it's it, it's funny, like when you talk about Texas at draft time, you're definitely not talking about it in terms of like the Alabamas and the Ohio States that not, are producing a lot anymore. of NFL talent. Right now. But it's really you you phrased it really well, Rod, a few years ago. Texas is really like the bargain bin for NFL teams. Like you can find oh yeah. You can find guys that'll stick on your roster in this program. Five guys who came in as five star talents. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for us, they underachieved, they're underdeveloped, but NFL goes, <laughs> dude, that guy was a five star talent. Come in, I'll bring him in as an undrafted free agent and I'll turn him into something great. And I think a lot of, we've seen a lot of those stories. I, I gotta I wish I could track the rest of the power five programs and kind of look at their undrafted free agents, but I know they're not his, producing as many undrafted free agents as Texas is yeah. in the NFL, but it's also a bad thing. Rather than say, that's kind of one yeah, of those exactly. achievements that you don't really want. You know? Hey, man, there you but go. But if that's you're an NFL yeah. team, you're like, oh, man, we can yeah. get us some talent down there. Like, yeah, Rod yeah. Bede, when you, you, you guys, you, yourself and Chris Sims, Corey Redding, Derek Docker, you guys kind of started the run of guys getting drafted. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of undrafted free agents at Texas at the time, like Marcus Wilkins. Uh, yeah, during that time, like, there Hall. were kickers. There were kickers and yeah. like yeah, fullback and Marcus looking. Colin Leffler, like special teams guys. Yeah, but we didn't not, have a ton. Yeah. Now since 2010, that number is kind of going through the roof, which is like I said, a bad thing. Those guys who are going undrafted free agents should be sixth and seventh round picks. Yeah, you know, what I mean that's the that's the key. But at that point, like the sixth and seventh round, I think it, it bears repeating. Like you're taking, 
you're taking flyers on guys. That's true. And you know, those, that yeah. might do one thing really mm-hmm. late. Like it's a specific need. Like, yeah. you know, the Cowboys just had this fascination with stockpiling tight ends. That's why Jeff Swaim is listed as a draft Where pick from Texas. Where is he now, Tampa or something? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah. He was in Florida somewhere. Okay. Because yeah. yeah, like he can block. Like the Cowboys, like, we're going to carry six tight ends. Why? <laughs> Why? Hey, whatever it is, hey, Jeff Swain is, he's very happy about it. I guess Jason Garrett was just want to play meathead football. So, Well, if you got a reason for it, hey. listen, the, the, the San Francisco 49ers, they keep a ton of tight ends and fullbacks. <laughs> but they use their tight ends and fullbacks. Yeah, Charlie right? Strong was using I mean, they Tyrone Smoops had yeah. like so 20 rushes. We had yeah. just three blocking fullbacks in the same backfield in college. If you're going to use them, yeah, but don't, don't just <laughs> – Keep them on the roster to stockpile them for no reason. That's what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. It's like Texas with all these safeties right now. Like, you got to find a way to get the most. Like, if you got to move DeMarvin over some to linebacker, move him to linebacker. But I think at one point in the Todd Orlando system, remember, they had a vision. That's why they were playing. What was that dime package they were playing that time? And then they got to seven, eight DBs. Got I think the they Cowboy did have package. A, yeah, I think they had a vision for it. And then ultimately, that vision has failed, but I think they got to get back to still playing a lot of DBs. But like you said, put them put them at linebacker. If you got yeah, to. well, the, and this is a conversation we'll pick up as we get closer to spring ball. Like I think you've got to look at some of those safeties and be like, do they need to be conversion guys? Like Overshown. Well, like like BJ Foster. Like BJ Foster probably benefits you more playing closer to the line of scrimmage than he I mean, does back deep. I know it's just so weird that I think they're worried about the the players being like a little butt hurt over switching their position from safety to linebacker. When in truth, we're now playing almost positionless football right. mm-hmm. in the back seven now. And it, you almost need to explain that to the guys. Like, no, 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 guys. Like, we're, we're a positionless football world now. You know what I mean? Like, the, the running backs now are basically becoming mini wide receivers in a lot of systems. And, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Tight ends now are very versatile and all that. Linebackers are covering. Yeah, we just got to put the best de- best defenders on the field. And the best way for us to do that is to have six or seven of y'all DBs out. Give them one of those cool names, not linebacker. Yeah, you're, like, you're a rover name, jack. Exactly. They ain't exactly. Give them a cool name and let them move on. Yeah. Like Oklahoma Oklahoma called Roy Williams. They made a position for him. They called it the Roy position. There you go. Boom. That make him feel real good. Ooh, the Roy position? The right. overshone? Okay. I'm going to play the overshone. Okay, yeah, do it. Because if you'd have called him an outside linebacker. The Bam Bam. Yeah. Call him the Bam Bam yeah. for Foster. Yeah, make him a cool name and then act like you're creating a new defense all around them yeah. and sell them the on it. The star position yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need to do to these I mean, scouts. A lot of great defenses have been made. This is why if you're a good coach, getting back to kind of this point, then we'll talk recruiting. I know we're on the back end of it. You know, I've been studying the Super Bowl and studying the coaches and everything. You know, people don't realize that even the West Coast offense, you know, it, it comes around because Bill Walsh is trying to find a way to utilize. I think it's, what's the name of the quarterback? Virgil Carter? I think it's it, it, with it the Cincinnati up. Bengals. Was, yeah. he, from BYU, he doesn't have a strong arm, but he's really smart, and he can he can complete like really short, high percentage passes, right? Yep. So Paul Brown tells him, "Man, you better I, want, I need you to come up with a system to, to utilize this guy." And he's yeah, like, "All right." And he starts coming up, starts studying. Sid Gilbin comes up with the West Coast offense, basically this high percentage passing system that's based on timing and rhythm, and and you know all of this, uh, all of these really kind of creative, progressive ideas. Same thing with the Buddy Ryan four six defense. It was literally created yeah. number 46. It was like, yeah. uh, was it Plank, his name? Uh, like then? Well, with the Bear it, defense. With the Bear defense, yeah. Uh, but it happened, dude, it happened over and over. The zone blitz, I can name a ton of the zone blitz, yeah. all the Tampa 2 scheme. Tampa 2 came about because Jack Lambert was such a skilled middle linebacker. They were like, dude, I think he can cover downfield if we need him to. And they like, let's run this a cover two, but we're gonna call it Tampa two because we and they called it Tampa two later on. But it was basically cover two. And, they, yeah. The Pittsburgh Steelers were running Tampa two, but they adapted it because they had a very unique 
player there. Uh, All of these really offense, these really uh, progressive evolutionary concepts, you go back and look at the root of them, a lot of them are rooted essentially in them trying to take advantage of a unique, skilled player. Even for the um, Lombardi sweep, uh, Kramer, the guard, Jerry was Kramer. so skilled, yeah. they, would, they, would, they would pull him around right to lead the Lombardi sweep. That's why they kept running it. The, even the zone blocking scheme of Shanahan, as specified as it was, remember, he's the head coach of the Raiders when they have Bo Jackson and Marcus mm-hmm. Allen. And he's like, <laughs> well, I got to figure out a way to utilize Bo Jackson Marcus Allen. He was like, and, and asking him to, to run through this gap and this hole is almost doing them a disservice considering how skilled they are. They mm-hmm. can almost run through any hole. that. So I'm going to run a blocking scheme that will give them options. So he can cut it back if he wants to. Or he can keep going. Or he can cut it here, cut it there, one slash, whatever. And so he was trying. So all these great schemes that were took over football, they're all, they all come from the genesis of, this this is a really good player here. Let me let me build something around um, this player. Let me let me let me build the system around the player. Fit the scheme set. to the player. We the talk about set. defensive positions, and we talk about Bill Walsh. He created a position for Charles Haley when they drafted Charles Haley. They created the elephant position. There you go. Come on now. I mean, like, it happens all over football. It's happened throughout history. So I'm not getting on Texas here, but do it. Yeah, uh, Tom Harmon. You got those damn analysts here that have now been hired by other schools. You. I expected you to use Larry Fedora here as an analyst, and and, and I read a story about LSU. LSU had, you know, they had they've had fifth. I think they had fifteen analysts this past year. Yeah, Ooh. like fifteen analysts. And they are blew Edo's mind. Staff. He's yeah, talked it, about it. Brought in the all these really smart. One of them now, Munoz Jorge Munoz, is now working with Baylor. Mm-hmm. The he was amazing one of the, the, work of all the uh, analysts there. And I know Texas has a ton of them too. Texas had like I think fifteen or sixteen of their own analysts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and support staff, but I don't think Texas used theirs. Like, what happened to Larry Fedora's influence on the offense with the RPO scheme and also uh, the analytically driven? We didn't see that. Andre Coleman supposed to bring in Kansas State's quarterback run game. I didn't see any of that. Like, I thought you were talking to David Beatty about bringing in a, a four-wide, ten-personnel package and more air raid concepts. I didn't see any of that. My point is, what the hell did we do with our analysts? Because LSU used theirs. Oh, yeah. No. And made a whole new offense. The greatest offense, arguably, in the history of college football. And you know how they built it? Around Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow came in and said, Joe Burrow said, they're running the same things I was running in high school. They're basically running concepts I really like and I'm familiar with. Well, they're listening to me, and then that's what I'm comfortable with. Anyway, and go with sorry that. about but, ranting there. But no, no, you're but good. You're ranting, <laughs> and talking about positionalist aspect and building around one strength that you do well and then going from there. Last night's a perfect example in the NBA was you had the Rockets taking on the Utah Jazz, and it's the tr- most traditional big you can find in Rudy Joe Baird. You got your starting five. What do the Rockets have? Nobody. There's no Capella, no Harden, no Westbrook. Rockets go to Utah and beat them. Yeah. How do they do it? Because they put Tybo Cephalosha yeah. at center, and they put – like, Tybo Cephalosha shouldn't even be in the league still. Nobody even knows he's around. Him <laughs> and Daniel House – I didn't know P- he was still in the league for being 100% <laughs> honest. And you know who started at center? P.J. Tucker there against Rudy Joe Bear because yeah. he can root him out of Match the lane, up, use yeah. his strength, yeah, stretch him and out. stretch him out or his low base. Him and Eric Gordon and James Harden have these big old yeah. fat trunks and can go and burrow a big man out there. That's you have Rudy Joe Bear makes 85% of his shots – within three feet of the basket. Can't make any shots if he doesn't get there and the P.J. Tucker boxes him out. Then when they get in foul trouble, he brings in Tybo Cephalosha out of left field to go and stretch him out again. But it's strictly because they have something that they do well on offense, and it is mm-hmm. almost a niche, a hatch. It isn't necessarily like football where you can have the Packer mm-hmm. pulling guard and Kramer, but it's identifying a skill set, then exactly. utilizing it against your opponent in the middle of it, taking their strength away 
from the basket, and then they end up beating Utah in Utah. Utah's one of the best teams in the they league. Are. And they are. They've been the, killing it. Yeah. And they beat the crap out of them because yeah. it was all via scheme Match and strengths. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're Texas and you're an experiment linebacker, this spring is a good time to do it, and we'll get more into this next week. But the news that Delia Dayaway suffered a foot injury and yeah. is having to have surgery, I mean, That's you're already thin at that position anyway because Marcus Tillman's still on the shelf. So, really, you've got, like, Jawan Mitchell, David Benda, Court Jaquist. Mm. Uh, Luke Brockermeyer. Just the look on your face when you're naming them. I'm names. trying to. I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to think of who all is there. Know you're, just, you're just. You're just <laughs> down to. You're down to not. And, threw a Brockermeyer in there, and I yeah. believed you on that one. And Luke, uh, Luke Brockermeyer's on scholarship. Actually, you know, he got put on scholarship last Congrats, year. Yeah. Um, but it, it's one of those deals where, like, in you're Big Twelve. You're thin. You're thin enough as it is. Hell, this, we talk about this. Is what spring ball is for? Just to throw stuff at the wall. Uh, let's take a look at this for one practice and see what it looks like. Yeah, and, and that's if the, the deepest position you have is your D line right now, right? And your and your DBs, yeah, use them. Yeah. <laughs> Just build a defense around DBs and D linemen, and try to min- minimize the effect of the linebacker. See if you can do. And that. we talked about that's why I think Tom Herman's going with two two D line coaches, and he'll basically have two cool. secondary coaches, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay Valai and Chris point. Ash. But I want to talk about uh, recruiting a little bit, just from this standpoint. So twenty four seven Sports uh, Tuesdays our rankings release. Rod the uh, the five stars, the thirty two five stars were unveiled at the start of your show at one o'clock. Uh, and then everything else came out afterwards. So Texas is officially chasing a five-star prospect. Alfred Collins, the defensive lineman from Cedar Creek and Bastrop, nice. was number thirty-two. It's the last five-star uh, in there. And I, I think when you when you when you look at it, when you look at Texas and you look at the Big Twelve, getting quality defensive linemen from the state to stick in this league has been a really big problem. And I want to read you. Something from uh, I did this article last summer. I just want to read this and then we'll pick up the conversation. This is how we'll finish the show. Beginning with the 2013 recruiting cycle, the state of Texas produced 55 four and five star defensive linemen according to the 24 7 sports composite rankings. That's the industry average. Of those 55, only 20 signed with Texas or one of the other Big 12 schools. Not all of them panned out. Among those guys Texas landed, among among the 20 who signed with Texas or Big 12 school, Derek Roberson, transfer. Chris Daniels, transfer. Jordan Elliott, transfer. Andrew Fitzgerald, medical retirement. And Legarion Carson didn't qualify. All of those, yeah, all of those recruits either transferred out of the program within their first two seasons, medical retired before making the dead, blah, blah, blah. That five, you name? That is one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five. Um, that's Big 12 meanwhile, Texas. Yeah, meanwhile. Who else do you have in there? You've got Miles Garrett, Solomon Thomas, Ed Oliver, Ashawn Robinson, Marvin Wilson, Caleb on Chason, DeMarvin Leal at A&M. Wow. So those are the ones that went out of the Big 12 or not to Texas seem to develop better than yeah. the ones that went inside the Big 12 or went to Texas. Yeah. Wow, uh, that's not good. Here's the here's, <laughs> and I'll just no, I'll continue. At least it aligns with LSU, Stanford, that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into the article. I have some more on this on the site today. But Rod, it's a good tease. Go, really. that is a good tease. No, that's a, that's a hell of a. But when but when yeah. you look at what Texas is doing, when you look at what Tom Herman's done, you go back to his first full cycle, that 2018 class. You got the state's top interior lineman with Keandre Coburn. Mm-hmm. You got the state's top edge guy with Joseph Osai. You also got Moro Ojimo. If you land Alfred Collins, you get the state's top interior defensive lineman. You get Vernon. You get. Uh, 
Prince Dorva, yeah. Prince Dorva, the state's best best edge defender, mm-hmm. and you got Vernon Broughton on campus right now going through spring ball. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe miss overall best. Like, I think miss overall D line. I think he's got because he can play any position on D line, right? I think he's one of those guys that I think could possibly in three be a three and done NFL. Wow, I think he's got that type of talent but he now. The where, where are you going to play him? How are you going to well, use him? How are you going to use him, number yeah. one? And number two, can you take this kind of raw ball of clay and turn it into what it can we don't even know what he is just yet. Like, he can play inside. He can play outside. Vernon Broughton, to me, reminds me of Hassan Ridgeway. Like, oh, I, I, see, I see Hassan Ridgeway. Ridgeway because when I look at Vernon Broughton, I see a guy that, man, because yeah. you, you can see the flashes. Like, when it clicks, yeah. it's like, oh, my God, this guy looks He's like a top three-round yeah. guy. It's just can you get that out of him consistently? And like we saw with Hassan Ridgeway, can you use him in the right way? Like yeah. we saw later in his career, he was used the right way. And then his last year at Texas, he was just hurt and we never – like yeah. b- the few times we saw Hassan Ridgeway healthy, like he that Oklahoma forced, State game, which will always like baffle me how Texas lost a football game scoring two non-offensive touchdowns. Uh, and then the Oklahoma game that they won. Yeah, he changed the game. He literally won. When he was healthy and he was and he was on his game, he changed the, the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that to me is like when you you need those guys – like. You need good defensive linemen to win, period, right? Wait, I'm not yeah. saying anything you yeah. don't know. But when you start talking about, okay, can this program take a step to where you're winning a conference championship and therefore winning the Big 12, what comes after that? If you want to win those types of games, you need the Vernon Broughtons and yeah. the guys like Alfred Collins. Yeah. Those are the type of guys you need. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. And it's, it's weird with Texas because, you know, I don't think they're doing a bad job of developing D linemen necessarily. If you go look back, I mean, they've had some decent defensive linemen. I mean, even the ones who've had, I think, a lower ceiling. At Puna Ford. Yeah. Amanda who? Jackson Jeffcoat. Well, and then, of Charles, course, Charles Malcolm Minahan. Brown's going to be Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown's going to be Malcolm Brown. Regardless. But, but Jackson you know Jeffcoat I mean? was like, a five-star guy, but I think we all knew, like, hey, look, yeah, when, it comes, when it comes time for the NFL with Jackson Jeffcoat, like, the medicals, it was yeah. what it was. Alex Oakley was a five-star, though, wasn't he? He was yeah. so close to it. Like, he was one of those guys. So, it's weird. I think, you, I think you're right. I think it's almost they got to bring in more of those high caliber D linemen. I think they're not bringing in enough of them. They need to be stockpiling them like they're stockpiling defensive backs. Well, and, like, and it's almost like the coach of the Big 12 is like, no, we got to stockpile defensive backs. He's like, no, no, yeah, you got to to win the Big 12, you're going to need defensive backs and speed. But to go after that and then beat Ohio State and then beat Clemson or Bama, you're going to need them big houses up front. That's the yeah. difference. That's yeah. the difference when you look at Oklahoma getting into the playoff. It is. When they get there, they get whipped. Yeah. And it is it's because they're on, on in the trenches, and it's by the way, offensive linemen. They have some of the best in the country. It really, I'm thinking too. It's specifically on the D line because yeah. they don't have they don't, match up they don't have bad players. Like Ronnie Perkins is a guy, mm-hmm. and even though Ronnie Perkins was suspended or whatever, but like Neville Gallimore, we saw Neville yeah. Gallimore yeah, basically won them the Texas game. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they just don't have enough of them. Have enough of them. D line so yeah. mad. It's so mad. So I mean, look in the yeah. Super Bowl just right now. Shano on one side, and then the biggest move in the offseason for the Chiefs was getting Frank somebody Clark. like Frank Clark to come yeah. over. Exactly. Forty Nineers took D Ford. They're like, we need more. Yeah. Like you got four first round D linemen. We would like another one, please. <laughs> we want five. But you look at you look at when Texas has been really <laughs> all look, the ones from Oregon and Ohio State. <laughs> and right. you look guys at when Texas has been really good. Uh, even like later in Max tenure when the offense was really why this program wasn't winning. Like you had a just an enormous like stockpile of defensive line talent. Like go, oh, yeah. go look at the go look at the national championship team. Oh, yeah. like, Brian Arakpo was like on a second team, like struggling to get snaps. You talking yeah. about the 2005 team? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but I was I'm with you. Even uh, even the fronts of the 09 oh, team, 08-09 yeah. oh. team with Ken Sergio Kendall and yes. yeah, and all those guys like that's freakish. Man. Rackpo, I mean, Rackpo, Lamar Houston, Juan Miller, Henry yeah. Melton. It was like you got you had you had multiple guys on that guys on that defensive front who were NFL caliber. Yeah, players. guys like Derek Loki was an NFL guy for a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Aaron Lewis was in there at the time. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I think it's just – I think you're on to something. I think they're developing a defensive lineman, and they may still be developing them at the same rate. They don't have enough of them to develop right now. And that's like why the we're high all, caliber guys. all happy whenever Herman got hired, and we were like, oh, he went out and got it, Oliver. He's going to be he the did. guy that gets those. That it's just, but there's very few of those humans every year. So, like, if you do have one that happens to be from your region, you really have to capitalize. That's what, and you have to develop them because if you don't – Then it's saying, indicting. Then it's, exactly, then it's a negative recruitment and uh, negative – of recruiting indictment against you, mm-hmm. like you want to go there. You see what happened to the last real good D lineman that went yep. there. There you go. Like Jordan Elliott turned out to be a really good college player. He yep. just did it at Missouri. Yeah, that Derek Roberson's in Derek Roberson's in the NFL. Yep. He just did it going through Sam Houston State. Yeah. So like, they're getting quality defensive linemen hasn't really been the problem. It's keeping them in your program number one and then developing them. Like, totally but I, you know, it's just like I. One thing you can't fault Tom Armour for, and we talked about on the show. You can fault Tom Herman for a lot of things. One thing you really can't fault him for is talent acquisition, because they've no. been they've been on it, tra- yeah. making sure they leave no stone unturned. And you look right at what he's done at the quarterback position. Which, by the way, now that we're ranking Jaquindon Jackson as a quarterback, Texas has the best quarterback class in the country in 2020 with Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson. Is that a fact? Yes. Nice. You throw that. You throw that I in. Like that. You Random throw technicality. <laughs> you, you throw that in with. You know, you've moved Roshan Johnson to running back, but now you go down to 2021 and you've got Jalen Milrow committed and Mike Yurcich is offering, you know, 2021 quarterbacks because that might be a two-quarterback class. They're leaving nothing to chance at the quarterback position. Well, that's just, that's just smart. I mean, we've talked about that for years. You can't have, you can't have too many. But Tom, those four you bring in those two years, two of them will leave. Finally, Guaranteed. Rod's getting his wish because you were the one <laughs> yeah. preaching. We've learned this yeah. lesson Guaranteed. from the girls. And I think this is the staff saying, look, I mean, it's going with the what if. What if Casey Thompson bounces? Yep. That's right. ball. It's only yeah. responsible. To so do it's this. a smart way to do it. I yeah. like that. That's smart. Good for them. But then, and that's how you. That's how you've got to do it with your defensive lineman. And to Matt's point, this is why, like in the 2019 cycle, why I, you know, as good as that class was, losing to Marvin Leal to Texas A&M was so huge because you can't go replace those guys. No. Like you can, you can find you another receiver. Yeah. Like in Texas. like in this class, yeah. losing Quentin Johnston hurts, but you yeah. can go find you another receiver. Yeah. You, you can find you them. corners. And if you lose a blue chip defensive lineman, you 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 can't find those. Especially guys. to the I, I, SEC. I, I, I was I'd argue to say you gonna you can't find them really anywhere. They're tough to find almost anywhere. Yeah. The reason the SEC is king, and I've said this for years, is because you go look at where the best D linemen are from in the country, and they're all from those SEC states: Georgia, Retention. Bama, Florida, Louisiana. They're all right there, South Carolina, and the SEC just kind of have, almost has a, a monopoly on them. If I'm a, if I'm a defensive line coach in college football. I would ask my head coach, let my recruiting territory be Interstate 10 from San Antonio to Jacksonville. <laughs> and that's much. my recruiting territory. You run right through SEC country. Because you're gonna find a, you're gonna find some dogs, and they they got they're not gonna always be five and five and four star ones. If you're not, you'll find a Malcolm Roach. Everybody's gonna miss on a guy. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's and I think I think you're on to something there, brother. I think you're on to something. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, O linemen O linemen are hard to find, but for some reason I think D linemen in this day and age of football, when they need to have the mix of power and speed and the combination, 
it, it's probably we, tougher to find an O lineman. O lineman are tough to find too. But, but we talked about it with, for years with the air raid, right? There's certain office things you can have within the framework framework of your offense that can mask some deficiencies. It's true. Like we talked about Texans in 2009. Like the yeah. 2009 offensive line was not great. Oh, no. As we saw in the Nebraska game, which. Still, I've never gone back and watched that full game. It's almost like oh, uh, I've seen. I've seen it. On it's all, it's almost like a bad. It's almost like a bad date. Have you ever had a really bad date oh, that you don't yeah. want to go back and relive? <laughs> like it's kind of like that. I'm still shocked. Uh, and then you know what Marcel Darius and that Alabama group did to that group in the, the national championship game. But Colt McCoy masks so many deficiencies that offense had. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And, and and if you've got the right system and you've got a great quarterback, a great quarterback can mask. Now, well, I'll now say you this, got Mike Leach showing up to Mississippi, you know, where all the linemen come from. He's gonna be like, oh yeah. Herb Hand is finally replenished. They, they've restocked the shelves, and you've got. You realize it's the first time since Stacy Searles was in the program that you've had the same offensive line coach three years in a row. That's good to have. Because, you need yeah, those qualities. It's hard to have a quality offensive line. We get so much coaching turnover at that position. That's true. So, but the bottom line is, you can mask some of those issues. Um, with your offensive line, I agree with that you you can't it's when you go up a grade against the offensive line, you can't mask that, brother. You can't hide. Yeah, you can't do that on defense side of the ball. You need players. Period. It goes back to I'll say this is my parting shot, Rod. It's what you've always said. Offense, you can win with scheme. Defense, you freaking win with players on defense. You don't have to, especially against these offenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you seen them? <laughs> Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right well we'll talk uh, maybe some more recruiting next week actually next week when we do this podcast it'll be right around national signing day so maybe we'll have something to talk about but we'll get into spring ball we'll talk more about the delia day away injury and the fallout from that and kind of where Texas goes and maybe talk some more positionless football and get into some good X's and O's talk. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019-1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Thanks to Matt. You can get all of our archives, classic interview, classic shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, type in Longhorn Blitz. And you can get this podcast by searching Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. 
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.